To make a donation, visit biblicallycorrectpodcast.org slash donate. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you for your support. Is your life based on a false faith? Welcome to the Biblically Correct Podcast. Shalom, y'all. This is the Biblically Correct Podcast, teaching biblical correctness in a biblically incorrect world. My name is Kevin Jeffrey. I'm a Jewish follower of the Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, and I love teaching the scriptures. For as long as I've been a believer in Yeshua, I've known there's something not quite right in the body of Messiah, in both believers individually, as well as in congregations and churches in general. Maybe you've noticed it too. It's more than just a lack of unity of beliefs and behavior, especially outside the four walls of the worship service. It's as if we're creating our own personalized versions of the faith, customizing it to suit our own needs, and beyond just skirting the scriptures to achieve that, we're combining our individualized religions with ideas of the world. But it wasn't until I saw the new research by George Barna that I realized that the thinking that's causing this sickness actually has a name, and that name is Moralistic Therapeutic Deism, or MTD. In the 2021 American Worldview Inventory, published by the Cultural Research Center, veteran Christian researcher George Barna has identified MTD as the most popular worldview in the United States, and it's infected the body of Messiah as well. This philosophy of life was first identified in a study of teenagers conducted at the turn of the millennium, the findings and conclusions of which were published in 2005 in the book Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers by sociologists Smith and Denton. Now, according to Barna, moralistic therapeutic deism is, in his words, a popular fake, soft, twisted form of Christianity that permeates not just American culture, but the Christian church. Now, it's not an organized formal belief system, but a way of thinking that affects not just people's outlook on life, but the way they treat God, the Bible, and other people. And why is understanding and recognizing MTD such a big deal? Because of the massive impact it is and has been having on the body of Messiah, including the Christian church and in the Messianic Jewish movement. As Barna puts it, in large part because of MTD, simply and objectively stated, Christianity in this nation is rotting from the inside out. As I mentioned in our very first episode, Barna found that a mere 6% of Americans today, 2% among millennials and younger, have a biblical worldview. But where MTD is concerned, that number skyrockets to 38%, well more than one in three Americans. And when you crunch the numbers, Barna's research reveals that among self-identified Christians, 28% lean substantially on MTD beliefs. That means out of every four believers that are in your congregation or circle of influence, there is a likelihood that at least one of you lives your life according to MTD. One in four. Put another way, Barna points out that a greater percentage of people who call themselves Christian draw from moralistic therapeutic deism than draw from the Bible. And before you just assume that this isn't talking about you or people you know, the research also showed that MTD isn't found just among so-called name-only Christians. Barna also found that, quote, 
people drawn to this worldview are more likely to engage in biblical faith practices than they are to hold biblical beliefs. The practices measured include reading the Bible, praying to God, confessing personal sins, pursuing God's will for their life, and worshiping God. In other words, you or the believers around you may all be doing the same things, the same spiritual activities, but believing things and then acting on those beliefs that are not only different from each other, but in conflict with the Word of God. Just because you or other believers you know are doing things like reading the Bible, praying, and worshiping doesn't necessarily mean that you actually hold a biblical worldview. So now that this nebulous belief system of MTD has a name, we can learn how to fight it and recognize it in our own actions and beliefs as well as those of others. Because the reality is, a soft, undemanding spirituality is the greatest threat to the advancement of scriptural truth. And if we don't get a handle on this now, then the body of Messiah will just keep twisting and watering down the faith into something beyond meaningless. It will continue to appear on the outside to be thriving, but on the inside, it will ultimately be dead and powerless to save. So what is moralistic therapeutic deism? Let's break this down so that we can understand exactly what it means and then arm ourselves with the truth by comparing its false beliefs to what the scriptures actually say. We'll begin with the term moralistic. This has to do with people's perceptions of what they deem to be good or nice. In other words, in their view, moral. According to Smith, in a separate summary he wrote of his book, MTD believes that central to living a good and happy life is being a good moral person. That means being nice, kind, pleasant, respectful, and responsible. So MTD believes that God wants people to be good and nice to each other. Now, on the surface, this sounds right. Of course, we should be good and nice and fair and moral toward one another, especially as followers of Messiah. But what, according to the scriptures, counts as goodness or niceness? What exactly does it mean to be nice? Was Yeshua being nice when he called the Pharisees names, like blind guides or fools or brood of venomous snakes? Or was it nice when Paul wrote in Galatians 5.12, Oh, how I wish that even they who are unsettling you would just castrate themselves. Perhaps it's nice to show tough love, causing shame and grief by confronting and correcting someone you love, since Proverbs 27.6 says that faithful are the wounds of a loving friend. Or maybe it's nice when families are divided and destroyed over the Messiah, as the Master says in Matityahu, Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36, you should not suppose that I came to put peace on the earth. I did not come to put peace, but a sword. For I came to divide a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, and the enemies of a man are those of his household. So if by nice we mean kind, then of course we should be nice, since Ephesians 4.32 tells us to become kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as also God and Messiah forgave you. But if by nice we mean non-confrontational, or never causing harm or injury or conflict, then we should probably never be nice. It's not nice to withhold the truth, or to be accepting of unrighteousness and sin, or tolerant of perverted lifestyles and degenerate identities. Niceness, as we usually think of it, is not a biblical goal. 
we should instead be advancing the truth of what is right and the cause of the Messiah so that people can be healed and saved, even if it evokes an initially negative or hurtful reaction in others. And if by good we mean don't be evil, then of course we should be good, since it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15, see that no one returns evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue that which is good, both to one another and to all. But if by good we mean moral or virtuous or righteous, then we have a big problem, because Yeshua teaches us that no one is good except one, God. Mark chapter 10, verse 18. The idea that people are basically good is the most anti-biblical belief there is. None of us are good either because of our basic nature or the way we act or the things we do. Jeremiah 17, 8 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and is incurable. Psalm 51, verse 5 says, Look, I have been brought forth in guilt, and in sin my mother had conceived me. And Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verses 10, 12, and 23, There is none righteous, not even one. All turned aside. Together they became worthless. There is none doing good. There is not even one. For all sinned and are come short of the glory of God. Our lack of goodness is completely incurable without Yeshua. And if you think that tolerance or acceptance or a live-your-truth attitude means that you're being good, then you've never truly met or known the love and freedom of the Good Shepherd. He is as ruthless as he is selfless. We can be taught to be outwardly polite and considerate and to do nice or good things for other people, but only in Yeshua can we be inwardly good. And this speaks directly to one of the major beliefs within the moralistic aspect of MTD, which is that good people go to heaven. Again, if by good we mean that we've been changed by the power of Yeshua's salvation, and as a new creation in him, we're set free from a life of sin, then sure, good people do go to heaven. But if by good we mean that as long as we treat each other with kindness and respect, and we aren't murderers or rapists or members of an opposing political party, then nothing we say or do or think is going to make us good enough to earn us a place in heaven. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9 says, For by unmerited favor you are having been saved, through faith, and this not of something you did. It is the gift of God, not of your actions, so that no one may boast. You can be the kindest, gentlest, friendliest, most thoughtful, most helpful, most tolerant person on the planet, and you are not getting into heaven except through faith in the Messiah Yeshua, through whom God gives you the gift of salvation, not because of anything you ever did or ever will do. And the Master Yeshua confirms this in Yochanan, John, chapter 14, verse 6, when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father unless through me. Relying on being good, then, only gives us a false sense of security and hope. That surely, because of the kind of person we are and the things we do, we deserve to go to heaven. But Yeshua doesn't save us because we deserve it. On the contrary, we need his salvation because of what we actually deserve. If we look to our own concept of goodness to gauge our eternal destiny, then we're going to be in for a big surprise. 
Because as Proverbs 16, 25 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its eventual end are the ways of death. God doesn't simply want us to be good and nice to each other. He wants us to turn from our sin and accept the free gift of salvation by unmerited favor through faith in the Messiah Yeshua, because no one is good, not even one. Moving on now, we come to the second part of MTD, which is therapeutic. This has to do with our feelings and emotions. It places the focus on self. Again, Smith says, MTD is essentially about feeling good, happy, secure, and at peace. It is about attaining subjective well-being. So the therapeutic in MTD simply says that God just wants you to be happy. In other words, as opposed to living according to an objective set of standards, like, say, the teachings of the Bible, you pursue what makes you subjectively feel happy and avoid or reject what doesn't. So if you become pregnant and decide to have an abortion because a baby doesn't fit in your plans right now, it's because God just wants you to be happy. Or if you enter into a sexual relationship prior to and outside the boundaries of natural marriage, it's because God just wants you to be happy. Or if you're in a marriage and your husband isn't behaving the way you like and you commit adultery and divorce him, it's because God just wants you to be happy. And it makes sense that we would see this belief permeating the body of Messiah today, given that many congregations have become spiritual hospitals, prominently featuring theatrical, emotion-evoking worship, as well as seeker-sensitive teachings and resources focused on comfort, encouragement, and positive self-image. But while spiritual healing and finding peace in God are necessary and good, they're not supposed to be the goal or center of our faith and practice. That's the aim of things like New Age spiritualism and Eastern-inspired religions. When we focus on the temporal benefits of our faith, rather than modeling our lives after the Messiah, we're not feeding our spirit, but our flesh. We're putting the focus on how we see ourselves and what gratifies us, rather than how God sees us and what pleases Him. We're conflating our perceived emotional needs with what it really means to be happy. Now, that being said, it's actually true that God really does want you to be happy. As the Master teaches us in Matthew Matthew chapter 5, Happy are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the reign of the heavens. Happy are those who are mourning, because they will be comforted. Happy are those persecuted for righteousness' sake because theirs is the reign of the heavens. Happy are you whenever people denounce you and persecute you and say every kind of evil against you falsely for my sake. So, biblically speaking, happiness is not a feeling, but a state of being. And it's defined not by our emotions, but as a reward for service to God. If we are poor in spirit or in mourning or persecuted for the sake of Messiah's name, we will receive comfort through our expected inheritance in the kingdom of God. And the anticipation of that is what makes us happy. The master also says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 6, happy is he who is not stumbled in me. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, it says, if you should also suffer because of righteousness, happy are you. Happiness is the result of focusing outside ourselves on the person and purposes of God 
not focusing inside ourselves on our own wants, desires, and circumstances. It's not that God wants you suffering and unhappy. This isn't about you being miserable your whole life. But your happiness or unhappiness, your feeling good about yourself and your life, isn't the point. The purpose of biblical comfort and encouragement isn't to make us feel better about ourselves, but to help us persevere in our work to advance the cause of Messiah. And that is 100% antithetical to the therapeutic nature of MTD. If you are in Messiah, your purpose isn't to find as much relief and happiness as you can, but to serve the God who saved you and to live selflessly and sacrificially for others, just like his son. Did God just want Paul to be happy when he was being beaten and left for dead? Did God just want Yeshua to be happy as he was being tortured and executed for your sins? If happiness is feeling pleasure or delight or contentment, then no, they weren't happy at all. But if happiness is being exactly where God wants you to be, doing exactly what he wants you to do, then I have no doubt in my mind that they were the happiest men alive. God does want you to be happy, but not because you stitched together a Frankenstein's monster of biblical and anti-biblical ideas and values and actions that might result in you getting what you think you want. He wants you to be happy by accepting the blessings and burdens of being a disciple of Messiah, knowing that no matter what you endure while you're still here, the only real happiness that exists is found in following God. Yaakov, James chapter 1, verse 12 says, Happy is the man who perseveres through the ways of testing, because, becoming proven in his faith, he will receive the crown of life, which the Master promised to those loving him. And in Romans chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, quoting David, Paul says, Happy are they whose misdeeds were forgiven and whose sins were covered. Happy is the man whose sin Adonai does not credit to him. God wants you to be happy, but not by meeting your emotional needs. He wants you to put yourself last and find happiness in denying yourself for your king. And finally, the last part of MTD is deism, as in deity or God. This is the aspect of MTD which speaks to people's belief in the existence and even the power of God that he created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth, but is perceived as having a generally hands-off role in our daily lives. For the one who sees life through the lens of MTD, he turns to God primarily only when he needs something from him. Smith says, This God is not demanding. He actually can't be, since his job is to solve our problems and make people feel good. In short, God is something like a combination divine butler and cosmic therapist. He is always on call, takes care of any problems that arise, professionally helps his people to feel better about themselves, and does not become too personally involved in the process. So the deism in MTD says, whether you consciously admit it or not, that while you believe in God or a God, his main job is to serve you. This is why people blame God when bad things happen, because they see him this way, as a powerful being whose purpose is merely to serve us and make our lives better, yet to only get involved in our affairs when we want him to. 
And it's the same even for believers, who consider God to be very involved in their lives, but still only grant him access to certain areas of it, only doing what he says, what the scriptures say, when we agree with him. The therapeutic need in MTD, then, has us looking to God primarily to fix us, to change our situations, to make us feel good about ourselves, and to resolve our problems. Barna puts it this way, Those who adopt moralistic therapeutic deism view God as a powerful but dispassionate observer who remains detached from human experience unless circumstances make him the solution of last resort. But the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, is anything but dispassionate and detached. This is the God who delivered his people from oppression, led them in the desert, became enraged at their disobedience, yet showed mercy and forgiveness to them out of a sense of commitment and love. This is the God who is active in our salvation and is concerned for our eternal life. As Yochanan John 6.44 says, No one is able to come to me if the Father who sent me does not draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day. And this is also the God of whom the prophet Daniel spoke in chapter 5, verse 23, saying that he is God in whose hand is your breath and all your ways. A distant, disinterested God wouldn't care if you came to him, much less personally draw you to himself. A God indifferent to the lives of his children wouldn't be actively and directly holding our every breath, much less handling wherever we go and whatever we do. So to deny his interest, investment, and involvement in our lives, and to treat him like a problem-solving genie in a bottle, is not only foolish, but a completely unproductive way to relate to God, especially because this isn't the way a true relationship with God works. Proverbs 20.24 says that the steps of a man are from Adonai. In Jeremiah 10.23, it says, I have known, O Adonai, that not of a man is the going and establishing of his step. And in Yohanan 3.27, it says, A man is not able to receive anything if it has not been given him from the heaven. In other words, everything we have, everything we do, everywhere we go, and every decision we make are all ordered by God. Nothing happens without his intervention or permission. He leads and protects and even allows us to go completely in the wrong direction and make entirely wrong decisions all according to his will. It makes no sense then, as believers in Yeshua, to only turn to God when we have a problem and not seek his direction for our every step, because he's literally with us. He's there to guide us and interact with us all the time. If we don't seek God and consult his word and listen to what he has to say, then we're discarding the gift of his presence. We're ignoring God's willingness to not just be our savior, but the hands-on architect of our lives. As it says in Psalm 127, verse 1, If Adonai does not build the house, its builders have labored at it in vain. If Adonai does not watch the city, the watchman has stayed awake in vain. If we only turn to God when there's a problem, then everything we do is worthless. God will just allow us to struggle on our own, leaving us aimless and unprotected, exactly according to the silence we give him. But if we make God our aim and live according to his word and his will, then he will direct us 
and guide us in the work of our hands and be with us and provide for us every step of the way. Moralistic therapeutic deism says that our central goal is to be good, nice, and happy, and that God is waiting for us whenever we need him to solve our problems and to give us a life of contentment and emotional fulfillment. This is the life that millions upon millions of believers today are trying to live, an uncomplicated, spiritually undemanding life aimed at ease and focused on self. But the problem is that it's all a lie. God's never described, much less promised to us, a life that even slightly resembles this. And if, as followers of Messiah, these are the expectations that we place on God, then we're going to be incredibly disappointed, both with our lives and with him. I'll say it again. Your purpose as a follower of Messiah isn't to find as much happiness and relief as you can, but to serve the God who saved you and to live selflessly and sacrificially for others. Not one of us is good because of anything we do or say or think. And there's no amount of morality that gets us into heaven. True happiness comes not from meeting our emotional needs, but from the surrendering of our wants to the perfect will of God. The creator of the universe is not our divine butler or cosmic therapist or solution of last resort, but the master and commander of our lives. If we submit to him every step we take, and not just our problems, then he will guide us in faithfulness in every one of our ways. The body of Messiah is rotting from the inside out because it's more palatable and more profitable to teach and tolerate a soft, fake, undemanding spirituality that not only mixes Bible-adjacent beliefs with the pure Word of God, but undercuts the entire message of the good news and rips the heart out of the faith. The mindset of moralistic therapeutic deism is everywhere, and the only way to recognize, resist, and confront it in both yourself and in others is to know and live and breathe the Bible. Don't take your walk with Messiah for granted, but check your motives and desires against the Word of God. Then fix your eyes on the only one who is good, and then live your life the only way you can ever truly be happy. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Biblically Correct Podcast. If you like this episode and want to see us make more, then we need your help. Visit our website at biblicallycorrectpodcast.org to support the work of Perfect Word Ministries and MJMI with your much-needed donations. Of course, don't forget to like, share, comment, subscribe, and ring the bell to receive notifications whenever a new episode is posted. If you have any questions about this teaching, or if there are any other topics you'd like to see me cover, leave me a comment or shoot me an email at kevin at perfectword.org. That's kevin at perfectword.org. Until next time, remember that every scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for refuting, for setting a right, and for instruction that is in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully equipped, having been completed for every good act. Shalom. Shalom.